Well, good morning, church. It's good to, good to be together. If you are a visitor, I especially want to welcome you here to the Parks Church. Glad that you are, are here. Uh, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible during this time, and we are making our way through 1 Samuel. So I invite you to turn with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. We begin a new chapter this week. We're going to cover 11 verses as we come to Hannah's song or Hannah's prayer. If you don't have your copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. You can follow along there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, and the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life, brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. This is the word of the Lord. So when we open our Bibles, or when you open your Bible you're very likely to run into a person or a group of people singing, right? We have a whole book called Psalms, which are our prayers, and that's what we kind of have here with, with Hannah is a prayer that, 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 that would have been, in essence, a song unto the Lord. And so we're going to look at some of these different songs, not in detail, because we're going to look at Hannah's song, actually, or her prayer, in great detail this morning. But something that struck me about all of the songs I was able to go, and I didn't go through the book of Psalms, but specific songs that we see throughout the scriptures are this, that in most of the, the songs or these prayers that are songs, we are confronted with a God that is completely other, a God that is prayed to and sang about that is completely holy, completely just, completely different than you and me. That's Hannah's song, if you heard it in the scripture reading that she was conveying. And we will either find those realities and those words deeply comforting. Maybe for some of you, you find those words confusing. Maybe even for a select few or a handful of you in here, you find those words, even from Hannah's song, offensive. You see, we live in a day and age where churches 
are trying to make God more palatable, more predictable, right? What, what some theologians have called the domestication of God, meaning they're trying to tame it down just a little so that people will receive. But there's grave danger in that, that the God that some people are receiving is not actually the God of the Bible. When you look at these songs and these things saying throughout history, right, this, this, this song by Hannah saying nearly 3,000 years ago or so, it paints a picture of God that is completely other, that is completely transcendent, that sits above anywhere you and I are, even think we can sit, we can't. And so I want to submit to you this reality as we dive into this song. To believe in God, and when I say God, I mean the God of the Bible, the God that Hannah is putting on display in this song, is to see the whole world and our lives individually, and our lives even corporately as a church, and really all of life, in radically different terms from the person who doesn't believe in God. For the last 11 years, the Parks Church, um, this has been a core message and idea coming from any teaching that we've taught, and it's this, that a person who really grasps who God is biblically will not only understand intellectually things differently, they will also live differently. That our lives and the orientation of our lives must reflect the true biblical character and nature of who God is and who God has disclosed himself to be. And when he discloses himself to be and who he discloses himself to be, that will change what our lives gravitate around. That will change, as I've said, the orientation of our lives. And this hits that theme that we've been talking about for the last two weeks here in 1 Samuel. And that's the theme of what? Worship. What is worship? Well, for many of you, you, you you've, you've whittled it down to this, the, the thing that we just did. When, yes, that was worship. But that was singing worship. Worship is the sum total and I love what Eugene Peterson says, it's the complete attentiveness and responsiveness to the glory of God. And I, that's why I love Hannah's song here, because there is this picture of a complete attentiveness and responsiveness living that Hannah exudes from her. And we, so we're going to walk through this uh, verse by verse, okay? That's what we do. And you see that from the very start, when her mouth opens, what's the first thing that flows out of Hannah's mouth in verse one? My heart, my heart exults in the Lord. Now you may just view that as, as like a trite statement. That is a very deep and rich statement. By the way, uh, I was talking with the elders before service. We could probably spend about 30 weeks on this song, Okay. Like every verse, every line has like, first off, like 60 cross references in your Bible, okay? So, you know, make me proud as your pastor and go home and do that homework, but I'm not going to do that uh, this morning. But she starts by going, my heart. Now, when you see the word heart in the Bible, that is not just the seat of emotion, like, okay, here we're seeing, oh, isn't it cute? Like Hannah's emotions are just flowing from her. Oh, you bet they are. But the heart when you see that in your Bible, is literally the epicenter of everything. Your affections, your will, your mind was all wrapped up in this word, 
heart. And so when Hannah says, my heart exalts or it elates in the Lord, she's saying this, the very centrality of who I am and what I'm about is caught up in him. That's worship. You want a great definition? There it is from Hannah, the first thing that flows out of her life. The very core, the very centrality of who I am is God's, is Yahweh's. And this is a really big statement. Knowing what we've walked through with Hannah, know that, knowing that she has went from barren to, to having a child uh, miraculously, God has responded and answered her prayers to now her leaving Samuel and entrusting him with Eli. You get a very sense to which Hannah's heart is very, very tender in this song. And her voice is very, very loud. And I don't mean loud obnoxiously. I mean loud giving praise to God, giving definition to who this God is that she loves so much. In the next line, my heart exalts the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Now, how many of your versions, and I think the one actually on the screen, and these are both the ESV, um, anybody says uh, my strength, right? Or, Or another word there says my strength. Those are the same thing. But the actual Hebrew, the language that this was written in, is the word horn, not common language for us, is it? Right? Like, we're, we're, we're not, I, you probably didn't use that. Like, my horn is so, you know, exalted. My horn is strengthened. What's going on here? Here is the idea. The idea here is that the animal's horns is its glory, its power, its strength. And in fact, for an animal that, that, that has horns, that's the, that's the thing they lead with, right? That provides them the security, right? And, and now, maybe, maybe we do understand this here in Texas a little bit more than I thought, right? I've been to some of your houses, right? I know what you put up on the wall, right? I, I, don't, I don't see very many does getting sent to the taxidermist to be like, those are great ears. Those are great. What do you do, right? It's, it's the one with these massive horns. The horn of a person, as Hannah's saying here, is the sense of power and direction. Hannah's saying, my head has been lifted high, not by herself, but by who? The Lord. He has lifted her up. He has seen her. He's given her direction and purpose. If you recall Hannah's prayer from chapter one that we walked through, it was marked with what? Vexation, lament, pain. And now, what is her prayer or her song switched to? Not vexation, not lament, but exaltation. I'm exalting, I'm lifting my voice, I'm praising God. Even even in verse two, look at it, or excuse me, the end of verse one says, my mouth derides my enemies. So talking about her mouth, what is flowing from her mouth? And and again, you need to get in a little bit of the context of the original language. This means that her mouth would have been enlarged, derived, like she's, she's pouring out something from her mouth. What is it? Is it to Penina, her rival, who roared against her constantly? Is it to Elkanah, her husband? Is it to Eli, the high priest, who, uh, who looked at her and said, how long are you going to be drunk? Is it that? No, what's flowing from Hannah's mouth is flowing from what's in Hannah's heart, and that's praise. That's worship. That's exaltation to her gods, and that is the testimony to her enemies, is the praise. Hannah, notice, Hannah doesn't take it on herself to make those things that were rightfully against her correct. Does that make sense? Like she doesn't take the power in her own hands. She lets her worship and her praise set the tone for what's taking place. 
Oh, Hannah understands worship. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture here. And the thing I want you to notice as we get more into this song, um, in this, this prayer, is that it looks three directions. And these are directions that we talk a lot about here. It looks to the past, it looks at the present, and it looks to the future. And I'll argue that if you're going to have a true biblical view of who God is, you need to have a view in those three directions. Past, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. And Hannah's going to sing that way. She's going to talk that way. Now, notice, let's take just, this is just kind of a, a minor point here. Her worship, her singing, her rejoicing is not circumstantial. It's not circumstantial. Let's not forget what she just did. Now, we don't necessarily know the timing of this song when it's placed here, but we're pretty certain that it's after the moment she left Samuel with Eli. Like, how, how hard would have that have moment been? Can we just get into the narrative just for a second, right? Even though this song is kind of, it's, it's not a narrative, it's a song, right? How hard would that have been? And what does Hannah do? What do we find Hannah doing right here? We find her praising God, celebrating Yahweh. All right, now let's get into the rest of the song. In verse 2, if you have those notebooks or you have your Bible, I would probably put brackets around verse 2 because this is going to serve as a place that we keep coming back to in the song. It says this in verse 2, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. So let's make it clear who we're talking about. We're talking about a God who is other. We're not just dealing with a higher power. We're not dealing with a philosophical construct. We're not even dealing here with a concept. We're not dealing with something that you look in and you find in yourself. No, we're dealing with the living God. This God who is completely other. Isaiah 40, verses 18 through 23, puts it like this. Prophet Isaiah to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare him with? And I love Isaiah. Like, an idol? Really? This one God, this, this true God, you're going to compare him to an idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver change? He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, right? All of those things that he just described, you know where they sit? On the earth. And Isaiah's going, the one I'm talking about, the one I'm trying to get your eyes lifted up to, sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. That's the God we're talking about. And so listen, when the Bible is painting this picture of who God is, it should be so grandiose that it's overwhelming that you step back from it and you go, oh, he's completely other. But go back to verses 18, the, the, the last slide, the first slide. But our hearts 
our hearts, has been said many times by many scholars, are idol manufacturers, aren't they? Our hearts in the pull and the draw is to those created with gold or those carved by the strength out of wood. That's what we run to. And so the Bible's going, no, 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 lift your eyes. Lift your eyes up higher. Your eyes have a tendency to fall. My eyes have a tendency to fall to the things of this earth. And Hannah's song is going, no, lift up your eyes to the God who is holy, the God that's none, there's no one like him, the God who is our rock. And so the rest of this time, it flows with a picture of that God absolutely turning on its head our human assignments of significance and power, our idolatry. And Hannah puts it like this in her song in verse three, the first part. It says, in light of verse two, if you believe that, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. What's she hitting there? She says it. Our pride. Our pride. Let no more proud talk come from your mouth. There's no place for pride in our lives before God. Our God, biblically, has some very strong language about proud pride. Ephesians 4, talking about things coming out of our mouth. Ephesians 4, 29 says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, when we read that, and this is a true interpretation, let no corrupting talk. This is, this is unwholesome talk. This is coarse joking. This is, of course, all those things. But I want to submit to you that one of the most corrupting things that can flow from your mouth or my mouth is this prideful speech pride. And he goes on to use some pretty serious language in verse 30. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So he connects grieving the Holy Spirit with corrupting talk. Pride will corrupt you and those around you more quickly than anything else. Don't believe it? Here's what Psalm 138.6 says, for though the Lord is high, he regards or thinks about, looks at the lowly. He says, the haughty he knows from afar. Not strong enough language for you? Okay, James is going to take this in James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it is said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's pretty clear. If there's something I don't want to be on the other end of, it's the opposition of God. The God who is unlike any other. The God who is the rock. The God who sits above the earth. The God who is the creator over it all. But how many of you know pride has a way of seeping into our lives and our hearts in the subtlest of ways? Like, have you ever found yourself, I have too many examples to list, like, have you ever found yourself prideful about something really dumb? Yeah, all you who are super competitive are like, yeah, right? Right, and it's just those small cracks. It's those seemingly silly things, right? And pride works its way in. And what happens? It spreads. It grows. And what we will see from verses 4 through 8 is kind of these indicators, these, these things in our life that generate human pride. 
if you will, if our hearts are idle manufacturers, this is the gas for that engine, okay? This is the gas for that engine. And Hannah lays it out there because she's painting a picture really as a warning, but also as a picture that shows us who God is. In verse four, let's look at it. What's the first gas? What's the first generator? The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Well, the bows of the mighty, again, not a common term or language that we use. That's talking about strength. That's talking about military power. And Hannah's going, listen, the Lord is the one who demolishes human power. Power, though, is gas to the idol manufacturer in our heart. Human strength, I can build it, I can grow it, I can do it. The book of 1 Samuel, God is communicating many things, but one of the things that he is communicating very clearly is that God will flip upside down the power and the strength of this world. He will use a boy with a slingshot to overtake a nation that is powerful and has an amazing front man. And he goes, I'm gonna confound this, the wisdom of the world, the strength of the world. Remember who's singing this song? A barren woman in anguish and in pain who God answers and hears and meets her there to bring about Samuel, the one who's gonna lay his hands on David, right? Like the one who's going to anoint the true king. Isaiah, again, in prophetic voice, says this in verse one of chapter 31. It says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Many of you, functionally, that's your life verse. For many things in my life, that's how I operate. I trust in human power, in human strength, in my intellect, without ever once going before the God of the universe, asking him, petitioning him, looking toward him. And Hannah's singing here and goes, listen, he breaks the bows of the mighty, but the feeble, what does he do to the feeble? He binds them in his strength. Those who come in weakness, he perfects his power. That's our God. Now, let's keep going. Verse five, she's not done. Right? She's, hit. She's writing a hit here, all right? And those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. We just sang about this, for goodness sake. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Those who were full. Here's what that's talking about, especially in this day and age when this was originally written. Those who were full, meaning those who didn't have to worry about uh, food day by day, right? Give us our, our daily bread. These were people who were very prosperous, those who are full, those who, who, who had enough to, to, to have reserves and just be full every day. Hunger was a very real thing back then, right? Searching, give us our daily bread because I don't know where it's gonna come from next. There is this illusion and this allure for us to lean on earthly prosperity as security. Right? Prosperity affords us this perceived autonomy. It provides for us choice and it fills us up in so many ways. Listen, we are, can I say this? We are a full people, filled up oftentimes on the wrong thing. Sam's up here going, 
what does it look like to be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think one of the things hindering us is we don't have room for it. We're so full on the things of this world. We're so satisfied by the things that our eyes have fallen to. We have plenty, and we, through our human power, have produced it. But one scholar says this, human security cannot be measured by human prosperity. And that's exactly where Hannah goes next. In verse 5, the end of it, she says to those, uh, the barren has borne seven sons, but she who has many children is forlorn. Remember the context of chapter 1? What being barren, a barren woman actually meant? The identity, the purpose, the security. I mean, everything was attached to that economically, politically, socially, even religiously. Hear me, security, true security does not lie in prosperity. It does not lie in human strength. It does not lie in numbers. It rests with God. Who is God? Verse two, remember I told you to bracket it. That is who our God is. He is the rock. You wanna know what true security looks like? You look at him. What do our hearts really need? It's not the security of wealth. It's not the security of intellect or strength. Our hearts, what it really needs is the rock of our salvation. You remember Moses? When God's gonna go by him and he's hidden, where is Moses hidden from the glory, the otherness of God? He's hidden in the cleft of the rock, rock. He's hidden in the cleft of the rock. And that is God illuminating, going, listen, I'm the rock. I'm the shelter, I'm the stronghold, I'm the place that will hide you, right? Will cover you. But we run to all of these different things going, no, this is what's gonna give me my security. It's this relationship, it's this status, it's this number, it's this job, this will whatever it is. And God's going, no, it's me. It's always been me, it will always be me. Remember verse two. And then verses six and seven Hannah here kind of takes a, a little bit of a, a morbid turn, right? The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make and sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. This is Psalm 13, what our opening liturgy was. She's this, this, th- these are all working together to go, this is who our God is. This is how he operates. But looking at that list, here's what we do. We assert control. We go, no, no, those things actually rest within me. No, this is, this is what I have the power to do in of myself. Hannah was describing the world not through human lenses, but through a perspective found in verse 2 that there is none holy like the Lord. He holds both life and death in the power of his hand. And somebody who believes that, somebody who sees that, should rest in that. For others of you, that makes you nervous. For others of you, that is, that is offensive, like I said at the very beginning. So what do we do with all of these forms of human power? of fuel that, that, that go into the idle manufacturing system and engine of our hearts? Like, what is your attitude toward these? Do you see wealth as a means of security? Do you fear being weak or being poor? Are you annoyed by the thought of being unimportant by worldly standards? What do you think about life and death? Do you think you have the power to hold on to life? 
And then Hannah's closing this song. And honestly, it doesn't get easier. It actually goes a step more difficult to hear. Look at it in verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. Oh, that's sweet to hear. Those who trust in him, those who don't trust in chariots, those who don't put their trust in the human forms of that list, he will guard. But the wicked ones shall be cut off in darkness. Look at this. For not by might shall a man prevail. Hannah's doubling down going, listen, don't believe the lie. The lie that every single idol that your and my heart produces will want to sell you on. Believe this. There is no one like our God. That he is other, that he is holy. And that if you find yourself outside of that rock, there is a consequence. That if you find yourself trusting in these human forms, there is a consequence. That by opposing or opposition, you're saying that the way forward is strength, prosperity, security, control. That's the way of salvation. Many of you, most of you in here would go, no, 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 Kyle, salvation belongs to the Lord, and that's right. But it belongs to the Lord on his terms. It belongs to the Lord in how he sees fit to bring it about. That's verse 10. She will go, God judges to the ends of the earth. And that's not a big jump if you actually believe verse 2. This God who sits above everything, this God who is completely other, then of course he's going to judge everything because he's in control. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power. Here it is again. Exalt the horn or the power of his anointed. Hannah ends here with heavy judgment language. Like if you find yourself outside of the covering of this God, there is a consequence. There's separation. There's removal. And then she ends finally with going, but he gives strength to his king and exalts the horn of his anointed. Now, to his king, Kyle, we've been in 1 Samuel long enough to know we don't have a king yet. What, what's she talking about? We don't have a king yet, you're right. But we're expecting one. And Hannah had some inkling, one way or another, that in the gift of Samuel, that we were on our way to the promised king, the one that God desired for Israel. In fact, the Hebrew word here for anointed, you see it there at the very end of that verse, verse 10, anointed, you might circle that. That is the word Messiah. Messiah. This is the first place where we see a prediction of Israel's king being imminent. And what do they link? The king with the Messiah. The king with the anointed. Yeah, Gospel bells should be going off right now. And I love that this first announcement of this King Messiah comes from Hannah. This nobody culturally, this nobody religiously, she's saying something so profound. Hannah's response in this song and in this prayer is declaring something very 
clear about our God. Not just who he is. And I think she's pretty clear in that. But she's communicating about God doing something and working in ways that are so much bigger than we can possibly fathom. That this song, with all of its beauty, with all of its clarity, with all of its conviction, kind of ending in judgment, but ending with this King and Messiah, should lead us forward to another song. And that song is found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1 where there's another nobody named Mary, a teenage girl who's not barren, but a virgin, who an angel shows up, an angel of the Lord shows up to her and says, you're going to carry this King Messiah. And in Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 55, what does Mary do? Mary sings a song. Except unlike Hannah's, Mary's song majors on something just a bit more complete. Oh, we're not wondering who this Messiah King is going to be. Mary's going, I know who it is. I'm going to be carrying that King. And that King is going to be executing judgment, yes. But that King is going to be carrying in of himself mercy. Verse 50 of her song says this, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation to generation. That's her song. That Hannah's song that is so clearly in such a beautiful articulation of who God is and what he opposes and what he's for and what he's about leads us to this place with Mary where she goes, mercy triumphs over judgment. We sang that, like that's scripture. That's not just a a nice statement. That is scripture that mercy triumphs over judgment. The Messiah King is here. He's here. And so we read our Bibles, not just Genesis to Revelation, but Revelation to Genesis. That Mary's song also points to another song. I told you, there are a lot of songs in our Bible. In the book of Revelation. The last book. The book that looks forward And that's Revelation chapter 15. It's in fact known as the last song, the song of deliverance, the song of Moses, right? You you remember when they crossed, the the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, right? Exodus 14. They get on the other side, Exodus 15. They sing. They worship. It's the song of deliverance. Now here, Revelation 15 is picking that song up, if you will, again and go, listen, there is going to be a day, a final day of deliverance. And here's the song. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? The answer to that is no one. Everyone will fear and everyone will glorify your name. For you alone are holy, and all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So hear me, Hannah's song is pointing forward. There's coming a Messiah king, and it's a lowercase k king, and his name's David. 
But what David is, David is a shadow. David is going to set the scene for Jesus to come, right? To flow through his line, to fulfill every prophecy. And Mary is singing about the mercy of this God King that has come in the form of Jesus. And then we have here, John, in Revelation 15, the song that they're singing is this, that one day he is not cut because he's come. He's returning in all power, in all glory to set the broken things right once and for all. And so, um, you guys can come. We're going to take communion this morning. Um, and I, I love that. Somebody on the front row just goes, yes! Like, I, you all need to take a lead, all right, from a third grader, okay? <laughs> like, that should be the response from the family of God. Like, I'm not being trite here. Like, we get to come to the tables The tables that represent our salvation, Jesus' broken body and shed blood for us. This king, this God who sits above the sphere of the earth, who looks down on us and doesn't see us, but he sees his son, Jesus, for those who have trusted in him. And he sees his mercy and his grace. And that's the only way we escape his judgment is in his rock. And the rock is Jesus. And that rock is returning. He's coming back. And so this morning, hear me, it's a clear invitation for those of you who haven't trusted in Jesus, trust in him. Literally turn from your sin, turn from those things you've trusted in for security and salvation and turn and believe in him. For those of you who have, it's a call back to that, right? Stop running to those idols, stop running to those things, those human powers and those human strength that you've been clinging to and trust in him. Trust in Christ anew today. His mercy and his grace are new for you this morning. And we get to come and hold that in our hands and remember that again this morning. You're right. Yes. Let me pray for us and then our host will lead us. Father, um, capture us and our hearts again with the grace of Jesus. God, I pray that in my fallible words, you might take your infallible word and lift our eyes and our hearts to see you rightly and clearly for who you are. Forgive us for trying to tame you down, domesticate you, make you palatable, taming the biblical view of who you are. Oh God, may we lift you up and go, this is our God, full of mercy, full of grace, but a God who is perfectly just and holy as well. So Lord, strengthen our hearts as we receive communion this morning. In Jesus' name.